How many of you can say he's never let you down? Shout amen this morning. <clears throat> amen. He's never, ever let us down. And I'm so thankful he is incapable of letting us down. Aren't you glad of that? You don't have to worry about him ever letting you down. If you're our guest today, I want to cause you to draw your attention to something. On the chair back in front of you, on about every third seat, there's going to be one of these QR codes. And I don't even know what that stands for, but I know this. If you'll scan that with your phone, uh, it will direct you to a link where you can give us a little bit about you, how we can minister to you, and maybe specifically how we could pray for you. And so our staff would love that opportunity to do that. So if you'll take just a minute, you can do that now, even as I'm encouraging you to get your Bible out. Or turn it on, okay? Now, this morning, you guys, early group and this group, I can see you already, kind of just, you're missing that hour of sleep. How, uh, be honest with me. How many of you can say you missed that hour of sleep? Raise your hand. Yep, see there? Now, let's just get that out of the way. And <clears throat> what I'm going to do is, uh, is challenge you, and I'm going to pray for you, and, uh, and I'm asking uh, God to quicken your spirit so that you don't just sort of you know, make it through this thing, but you participate. Because I'm going to tell you something. It is very lonely up here when you guys just stare at me like you're angry, all right? And so I want to challenge you. Smile every once in a while. Even if you don't feel like smiling, every once in a while, flash a smile at me. It helps me, all right? And then secondly, uh, participate. Because this isn't about somebody who's perfect and got it all figured out uh, preaching down to anybody. No, the only reason this is elevated is so that everybody can see and hear, uh, I'm just like you. I'm, I'm in the process of being transformed little by little as well. So please participate in the message as God speaks it to us. All right, if you have your Bible, join me in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. And as you make your way there to Joshua 5, I want to encourage you, if you will, again, share our service right now on Facebook. If you'll think about doing that, take your phone, maybe put it in your hand, turn it on to silent so that it doesn't, we won't want to get interrupted. We're, it's going to be hard for us to keep our attention Without that hour of sleep, we don't need any other distractions. So if you will, put your phone, switch the ringer on silent, and turn the volume down, if you will, and then share our time on social media. And then we're going to dive in, Joshua chapter 5. I want to go back and remind you a few things what's led us to Joshua 5, and that is not too long ago, uh, we, wanted, we went on a journey with the children of Israel uh, on a journey home. Do you all remember that series that we went through just recently? Three or four of us, okay, five, six, okay, a few of us remember that. And uh, as we talked about the fact that it parallels uh, some similarities of the life of the Christian even in the New Testament. And what I mean by that is they were God's people, but they still struggled with difficult circumstances. Y'all agree with that? Amen. And we said that as they were uh, taken into captivity in Egypt, first it was a favorable situation, but it turned, and later it became unfavorable in the way that they were slaves, and they had these taskmasters that were very unkind to God's people. Well, God got ready to set them free, and he does that through a man named Moses. A series of events take place. They leave out of there, the Red Sea crossing, all of those things. And we would say, remember we all agreed, each one of those things that happened, we would scratch our head because we'd say, okay, surely now things are going to get easy, Right? They've just been chased. They told them to go. They left. They, they got chased. God opened the uh, Red Sea. They crossed over. All right, now things are going to be easy. Well, then the Amalekites attack them from the rear, and they get the stragglers. And we just, it was one thing after the other. Do you all remember that? And we said, man, surely now it's going to be time to sit under a shade tree and drink some lemonade. And that time really never came. They struggled all the way through 40 years of wandering. Now, does anybody remember what led them to 40 years of wandering? They sent a number of spies. Moses did. You remember how many? Twelve. Twelve spies go over to look at the land that God has promised, the land called Canaan, a land that he described, God did, as a land flowing with, see, y'all were here, milk and honey. 
And they were going to possess that land, even though when they got there, there's going to be people who were already there. They were going to have to dispossess some folk, or we'd say this way, they're going to have to conquer some territory, all right? And God promised them that they would. Well, uh, on the journey, uh, as they sent the 12 spies over, one from each tribe, they come back, and they have the only church vote recorded in the Bible. And they voted on whether or not they should obey God. And the majority, 10, voted against the will of God and God's instruction. And so they did not go into the promised land. In fact, 40 years, they did something in the wilderness. They wandered. And let me say this to you as a side note. It's never the intention of God for his children to wander without direction. Uh, you have purpose. You have direction. If you're a child of God, uh, you've been born again to the kingdom, not just so that you'd be saved. If that was the purpose, you would have died and gone right to heaven the moment you invited Jesus to be Lord. But you have purpose here in this life. And so uh, he causes them to wander 40 years. Remember, everybody from 20 years old and down, the young people represented by Joshua and Caleb, uh, they wander and they bury they wander and they bury, funeral after funeral after funeral, until all of the older generation who didn't believe that they could do what God said they could do died out. Now they got to the place where they are crossing over the river. But somebody, uh, Moses, died and somebody took his place. Does anybody know who took Moses' place as the leader? Joshua. So Joshua becomes the alpha male, the leader, God's alpha male to lead his children over the Jordan River, through the Jordan River, into Canaan land, and to begin to take this territory little by little. Have I given you a little backdrop now so you know where we're going in Joshua chapter 5? So they have, in fact, crossed the river. Something you might not know, God dried that river up. You see the pictures in the storybooks, it's a little path, and the children of people, Israel are in a little narrow line going across, and that's not the way it happened at all. The Word of God says that God dried the river back up in the city called Adam, and it dried all the way up to just past Jericho, which means there was a mile and a half stretch of the Jordan River where there was no water. How about that? He didn't just make a little path for this one million to two million people. He dried up a mile and a half of the river so they could walk on dry ground, and that's what God did. So they've crossed over, and we're picking up today. They've just gotten over on the other side. In the middle of the river, they piled up some stones called memorial stones. Why? So that they would remember God's providence to lead them across the river, okay? Now they're on the other side and they're about to face their first challenge. It's a city by the name. Does anybody know the name of the city? Jericho. And Jericho is the first obstacle, the, the first impossible assignment, the first uh, hardship between them and the land that God had promised them. All right? Now, the trap today is you've heard this story, I don't know how many times, I've preached it four or five times over the years, and the trap is for us to say, oh, okay, well, it's rainy, I'm tired anyway, I'm going to put it on cruise control and snooze a little bit and let him talk until he's through, all right? I pray that you would not do that. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to, where are the kids in the room? Raise your hand if you're a young person in the room today, because I can't see you hidden in there. There you are. All right, I need y'all to help today in a mighty way. Because mom and dad have a tendency to doze off anyway, imagine today, they've, li they've missed an hour of sleep, and it's rainy outside, and so I need you to watch them, okay? Keep them awake. Whatever you got to do, touch them on it, tickle them behind the ear, do something to keep them awake. And then the second thing I want to encourage you to do is to draw me a picture based on what you hear. Hear the characters in the story. You're going to hear a man named Joshua leading the people. You're going to hear a pre-incarnate vision of what I believe to be Jesus Christ, the commander of the Lord's army. You're going to see some things, and I hope that you'll draw that. Remember, there's a river they've crossed. You might draw a river in the background. They're on a plateau, but they're going uphill to where Ai is, this city, that, excuse me, Jericho, where they're going to fight. And so maybe you draw some of that out today. Now that we have a little bit of foundation, let's stand to our feet and read Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse number 7. 
Do you feel like you have a little foundation now? Yes? Some of you came in. Right now you say, oh, now I know where we are, okay? So we start wide and we work narrow. Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse number 7. And we're going to read all the way down. You ready for this? To chapter 6, verse number 10. And then we're going to read verse 20. All right, let's read verse 7. And Joshua circumcised the sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised, listen to these three words, on the way. Forty years of wandering, no circumcision. What was circumcision? A physical thing that happened to the Jewish male that was a sign of covenant relationship with God. Uh, You with me? We don't have to describe in detail what that is. You understand. And it was a strange thing. Yes, I'll have to agree with you. Um, But at the same time, God ordained that it would be part of that covenant sign, and they were to do it to identify as his people. They'd not been doing it. Now they are. All right? Verse number 8. So it was, when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp until they were healed. I bet they did do that. Verse number 9. Uh, Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. What is he talking about? Their reputation. Egypt was their dominator, right? Egypt was the higher in the scenario. Uh, Egypt was seen as more prestigious, more wealthy, more powerful. And God said, I'm rolling, I'm changing the reputation of my people. Aren't you glad God can change your reputation? So he's changing the reputation of his people. He says, "In, in the name of the place will be called Gilgal, which means to roll away Uh, until this day. Now, verse 10, now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna. Don't you know they were shouting glory, hallelujah. They had learned to not complain, right? God taught them a few lessons about complaining. Um, But now, manna for breakfast, manna for midday lunch, brunch, what would you like to have? We're going to have manna. Afternoon snack, manna. Right before supper, manna. If you got up at midnight, know what you had? Manna. It was manna, 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 40 years. But praise be to God. They followed his voice, and they're living in a place where he said he was going to give them what they didn't deserve, and that's what he's doing. So they're eating at manna stops, but they ate of the food of the land of Canaan that year. Verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him, and he said to the man who had his sword drawn, are you for us or for our adversaries? And so he, the man with his sword drawn, responded by saying, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua, help me, hang on to that. One of the most powerful things you'll ever do in your life is just do what God says do. And Joshua did so. Now, Jericho was securely shut up, I'm in chapter 6, verse 1, because of the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hands, its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do for how many days? And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. Every other day, once a day, seventh day, seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city, y'all help me, will fall down flat. Don't miss that. And the people shall go up, every man straight before him. You're going to walk right into the city. 
Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And so it was, I'm going to skip down to verse 8. And so it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets uh, of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout. Here's the hardest part of all the instructions. You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, then you shall shout. Can you imagine seven days without saying a word? My head would blow off my shoulders. Some of y'all's would too. Don't amen, don't amen, don't amen. Let's go ahead, all right? So he gives them the instruction of what they're supposed to do, and they go about and they set about doing it, okay? Now, what I want you to do is look down in verses 15 and 16, okay? And it says, they, um, reading in verse 15, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early. It wasn't the sixth day, it wasn't the fourth day, but the seventh day. They got up early, the dawning of the day, they marched around the city how many times? Wasn't the second day, wasn't the third day. They didn't march four laps on the seventh day, they lapsed seven laps on the seventh day. And on that same day, they marched around seven times. Verse 16, the seventh time, this is what God said, it happened. They were to blow the trumpet. They blew the trumpets, and Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now skip down to verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened. What happened? When the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall, make sure you get that flat in there, fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead of him, and they took the city. They defeated him. They whipped their tails. They overcame. They dispossessed. They conquered. Come on, somebody. They did what God said do, and wow, what an impossible victory. Let's pray and see how we can take something for our lives from this today, all right? Father, thank you today that Joshua is not the hero of the story. Thank you that you are. Father, thank you that from Genesis to Revelation, you are the hero of every story. And we thank you that they're not storybook stories, but they are accounts of what took place. And Father, today I pray that you'd help the preacher. God, help me today to deliver this message in a way that the youngest to the oldest, the most educated to the least, every person within the sound of my voice will be able to understand it. And Lord, help us to understand that you can use anybody. Lord, you know I'm less than ordinary. And yet you continually preach through me, and I beg you, do it again. And, Father, as you do that, put on display your Spirit's power and tune our ears to your voice. May we now hear from heaven and be transformed by it. Lord, would you wake us up a little bit? You know, some of us are really dragging and tired. And so, God, would you give us energy and effort? And, Lord, let us hang on what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. As you're being seated, I thank you for being here. I know there are a lot of us who are traveling, uh, with it being spring break, and I know some of you are envious because your toes aren't going to be in the sand, right? Um, but your toes are here, and I'm, I'll tell you what, I prefer your toes to be here than in the sand, so, you know, I'm because you're attached to your toes, so I'm glad that you're here. Number one, title of our message this morning is Overcoming the Impossible. Overcoming the Impossible. I want to make, if I can, five statements today uh, that are necessary in my life and in your life to overcome impossible situations, impossible seasons, impossible people, impossible diagnoses, whatever diagnosis, whatever it is that you're facing that is impossible, I believe that we can take five concepts, five truths from what happens here and bring them all the way across thousands of years later to our lives and make application. Isn't that good news? That the Old Testament is just as prevalent as the New. Uh, somebody said to me the other day, you preach a good bit from the Old Testament. I said, yep, just about as much as I do from the New Testament. It's kind of half, you know, because uh, there are two halves that make a whole, Old Testament and New Testament. Without the Old, you wouldn't have the New. And so here we go. 
as we look at this Old Testament example of overcoming the impossible. First thing I want you to see is found in verses 7 through 10, okay? So if you're keeping notes, write down. what I'm, I'm going to give you a little short statement, and then you write the verses that go along with it so that you can go back on your own and see where it says that, and you're learning how to do uh, exposition in your own study of the Word of God, okay? So here we go. Write down number one. In other words, how am I going to overcome the impossible? What's necessary? first thing that we see from this passage is live a new identity, all right? You can't be the same you who you were before you came to know Jesus and live in the victory and the power that comes uh, by knowing him and walking with him. Does that make sense to you this morning? Uh, you can't say that you've been born again if your life looks the way that it did before you knew Jesus because Jesus is a way maker. He's the miracle worker. He transforms everything he touches. And because of that, uh, the only way we'll walk in that victory is if we live that identity. We can't just say it. We can't have a T-shirt for it. We can't go to church every once in a while and think that's it. But we literally have to live out the identity, all right? So as we look at where I'm coming from in verses 7 through 10, I want you to look for two examples of God's people identifying as God's people, okay? You go ahead and read and see if you can come up. I'm going to let you preach today. Two things you're looking for that happen in the lives of God's children that identify them as God's children. Number one, it's found in verse 7. It is what? Circumcision. And so we see that something that has not happened for 40 years as they wandered. I believe this with all my heart. It is never the intention of God for us to just wander aimlessly about and not have any focus and not have any purpose and not achieve that which God caused us to be saved and be part of the kingdom of God to accomplish, okay? So they're wandering, and while they're wandering, they are not identifying as God's children. The males, our Jewish males, are not being circumcised, and so they have left that behind, and they're not doing that. And another thing that they do, he says they, 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 they have the circumcision, and uh, you can just imagine what that day must have been like, uh, a day of, well, something. We're just going to move on, all right? And it says they hung out there until they were healed because, you, let me tell you something, you don't want to fight that situation, do you? No way you could win a battle. And verse number 9, the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. So it's very symbolic, not only identifying with God. They're identifying that the people of God are not supposed to be second class, are not supposed to be uh, the ones who are not... Uh, walking in the power and the provision and the favor of God, okay? Verse number 10, now the children of Israel camped at Gilgal and kept the Passover. So the second thing they did to identify as God's children that they were not doing was to celebrate the meal of the Passover. Now, you remember what the Passover represented for them? Remember when they came out of Egypt uh, the last thing that God did to set them free was the Passover lamb. And the Passover lamb's blood would be applied to the doorposts. And it's called the Passover lamb because, remember, the angel of death was visiting every home. And every home that didn't have the blood applied, the firstborn child died. And so they were, the Passover meal was a celebration of God delivering them from Egypt. And so they had not been doing that. But now, here they are. They found themselves on the right side. Listen to me. They found themselves on the right side of the river. And they crossed over like God said, and they stopped wandering. And now the first thing they do on the new plot of ground is to identify as the people of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you identify as a son or a daughter of God? Now, I don't mean am I asking you, are you a Christian? I'm not asking you today, are you a, a child of God? I'm asking you, do you identify as one out in the world around you? In other words, if I was to ask the people that go to school with you in your seventh grade class, if I was to come up with your best friend and just sit down by them and say, hey, tell me about Sarah. Is she, does she, who, does she, who is she? Oh, Sarah's a soccer player. 
I mean, she plays soccer all the time. They are at the soccer fields. Little Johnny, who's Little Johnny? Little Johnny's a baseball player, man. He's got five of those fake gold rings. He won seven national championships in two weeks. Y'all seen all of them? Everybody's winning these national championships on every ballpark and every field. And thanks be to God that it was raining today, so they rushed up some of the tournaments because there would be a lot of people that probably wouldn't be here today because they rushed them up. They won't rush them up for church, but they'll rush them up for the rain. Anyway, I'm going to get off of that. But how are you identify? How would people identify you? Who would they say that you identify as? Let's ask ourselves some logical questions. What are some ways that we identify as the children of God? And I asked the men this on Tuesday morning as we started to warm up to this message a little bit. And that was some of the things we concluded was that uh, somebody would identify as a child of God by prayer. Wouldn't that be a, a symbol of somebody you think might know God? You'd see them praying. A lot of times I find myself maybe eating somewhere alone, and I'll have somebody come up and say, you know, I just was really blessed that you were praying. Uh, are you a man of faith? Oh, yeah, I love Jesus as Lord of my life. And so something about just seeing you pray sometimes identifies. So, so do you do that? Do people see you pray? Do you offer prayer for people in your workplace, in your class, for your teachers and, and for your students? Or are you afraid of what the county? I'm, I'm trying to stay in the lines this morning. Um, but you begin to see that we had oftentimes identify. We let the world conform us. And shape us down so that we don't really flagrantly identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. Can, can I say to you something this morning? He's done too much for me and you for us to be undercover agents. And so if we, listen, and we, if we want to experience these impossible victories, we're going to have to get to the place where we live boldly, out loud, unashamedly that I belong to him and he belongs to me. I wonder if I ask people if you love God, what they would say. They might say to me, well, I don't know, but they love fishing because, man, they know every kind of lure to use, when the cloud cover's right, and what bait to use, and where to fish, and what kind of fish to fish. They can tell you everything. I know they love fishing, but see, what you know about me and you is that what we love, we talk about. Matter of fact, uh, we over-talk about the things we love. You all know that about me and you? I'm trying to learn to, if I say something about my grandkids or something, just to say a couple of sentences and then move on. Because sometimes you get, you get in a situation, y'all know what I'm talking about? And people will over talk about what they love, and you're trapped. And they're talking for 30 minutes the same thing about, you know, their favorite lure or their favorite, you know, camping site or their grandchild. You know, I'm trying to say, Lord, help me. Because, because honest to goodness, what we love, nobody has to say, you ought to be talking about that. We don't have to gather up on a particular day of the week and huddle up and say, hey, you ought to be talking about, because you just do it naturally. So, so shouldn't it then also be logical? If we love God, if we identify as his, we should also be talking about him all the time, what he's showing us, what we're learning about him, what he's done in our lives, what he's done in the lives of other people. Uh, it ought to be the constant subject matter if we love him. So, so who do you identify as? Who are you? Who are you? And then, and then my next question would be is we just sort of build it. Who do people say that you are? That's what I was, a little illustration I was giving you there. Then, then let's narrow the circle and, and ask this question. Who does your family say you are? Like in other words, uh, who would your wife say that you are? Your husband say that you are? Your, your children, who would they say that you are? You know, when nobody else is looking, when, it's, when the door, y'all know what I'm talking about behind, what do we call it, behind locked doors? Who, who are you? Who do you identify as? What are some things? So, so things like talking about God, prayer. Uh, I, I would say this. Uh, this, is being, this. This right here is an identifying marker of a believer. Uh, I always say this is a simple one, but I always say I love to uh, come on Tuesday morning and, and, and go by some of our guys. If y'all look on Tuesday morning, 65 to 70 men lately. And the parking lot's full of trucks. That's how you know it's a men's gathering. I mean, there are trucks everywhere, everywhere. And I love walking by them and looking, even it's dark when we get there, you know. I guess it won't be now, or no, it will be, won't it? And so what happens, I walk around, and when I see this up on the dash, 
front and center, where wherever that plumber pulls up on the job site, that thing's right. He don't give a he don't give a rip what the superintendent thinks, what the other workers think. It's right there, and it's all dusty and matted up. You can tell he's reading it at lunchtime probably, and it's right up there, boom, front and center. He doesn't care what anybody says. Identifying marks of the believer, things that say that I belong to him and he belongs to me. What we talk about changes. How we talk about things changes. We began to make disciples. All right, so if I'm going to accomplish and live in these overcoming impossible situations, number one, I'm trying to move forward, is to live a new identity. I'm not that guy anymore. I now am a child of the Most High God, and I should operate accordingly. Maybe you jot that down somewhere. I am now a born-again, forgiven child of God. I should, help me, operate that way. That's how I ought to live, okay? Number two, second thing we see from the text, found in verses 13 through 15, is this. Number one, live a new identity. Number two, surrender to his authority. Now, there's two words in that sentence that we despise, can you pick them out? Surrender and authority. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that we all knew that? We didn't have to have a class on it. We all are a lot alike, all of us. And there are two words that we really do not like, surrender and authority. Matter of fact, I don't know anybody in this room that woke up this morning and said, you know, I hope somebody tells me what to do today. Now, I know a few of y'all woke up with that chip on your shoulder saying, I hope somebody tries to make me do something today. But not many of us woke up with the idea that Jesus Christ is truly Lord. We might say it this way. Jesus is our master. Let me ask you a question. What word do you identify God with in your prayer life? So I just want you to think about it for a minute. Uh, some of you in here would say Father. How many of you would say that when you address God in prayer, you say Father, raise your hand. All right, okay. How many of you would say Lord or Heavenly Father. Okay, Lord, there's several. How about Heavenly Father when you pray? Heavenly Father, all right, all right. Um, any others that we haven't covered that you may address God as when you pray? King. Uh, here's one that a dear friend of mine who's now in heaven, a spiritual mentor in my life named Charles Griffith, introduced to me. I would hear him pray, and here's how he'd pray. He'd say, Master. Master, would you? And I remember thinking, that's kind of weird. I never heard that before. And as I listened to his humility when he prayed, he'd say, Master, would you? And he would ask permission about things. Here's my question for you as I, as I pose that. Hey, by the way, it's good sometimes to change the term that you use for God because he's so big. It's good sometimes for us to stretch our thinking and understanding of God a little bit. Matter of fact, he says, seek him first and his kingdom and his righteousness, right? And so maybe, maybe this week, you, a couple of times you'd pray this way, Master. I remember being in the Dominican Republic one time and there was two ladies under a tree and they were shelling peas, and as we approached them, I couldn't wait to share the gospel with them. We get over there, and we got an interpreter with us, and I began pouring it on thick about Jesus, and, 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 the, and the interpreter goes, you know, and I'm having to wait, and I'm watching, and the ladies start to laugh. Well, I'm getting a little ticked off, you know. I'm thinking, what's funny about Jesus, you know? I mean, I, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm trying to remain calm. I'm just sort of looking, and they're laughing, and I mean, they're just, and, they're, and then they start talking. I'm like, what are they saying? Of course, I didn't know. I had to wait, and I love to wait. And so finally, I said, hey, I asked the interpreter, what, what are they saying? What are they saying? And he said, oh, they said, when you ask them about the, the G Jesus and what he's done for you and what he can do for them, and you said, do you, do they, have they heard of Jesus? They don't. He said, they, their answer was, yes, yes, he's our master. And that's what they were laughing and enjoying about, and the fact that Jesus was their master. And so I want to ask you this question this morning as we proceed, because listen, um, there's, what's about to happen is, Joshua is about to roll up on what I believe is a pre-incarnate visitation of the Lord Jesus Christ as the commander of the Lord's armies. 
And what happens is you've got this alpha male named Joshua. Now, when you, when you know, how many of you know some, well, I won't ask for a raise of hands. You know some alpha males, right? They're hard to deal with. We are hard to deal with. And so when you can imagine today the alpha of alphas, this is the man of God leading the men of God. You understand? Um, Moses is gone, and, and Joshua is the guy, and he's a warrior like you can't imagine. And he is on mission. He's crossed the river like God said. He's now conquering territory. He's got one thing in his mind. i got to conquer this territory because God said so. I'm walking in the favor of God. I'm walking in the path of God, the power of God, the provision of God. And he's got his head down. You ever hear somebody say, put your head down and keep going? He's got his head down. How do you know he's got his head down? Because it says he looks up and sees a man. And the man is standing opposite him. You know what that means? It means Joshua's heading this way. And he's on the plains of Jericho, which is a low-lying area. And the town Jericho, the city Jericho, is up on a higher plain. And he's headed that direction. And he looks up in his path in his way between where he's headed and where he is. And there is a man face-to-face in his way. And so what he does is, in, in these verses, write these verses in your notes. It's Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. What happens next is then that Joshua goes forward and he sees somebody in his way. Now, what do you think he does? He doesn't try to go around him. He doesn't try to hide from him. He doesn't try to juke him. He doesn't try to sick somebody on him. He walks right up to him in complete confidence in the favor of God, the power of God, because he's walking in the will of God. He walks right up to him. Can you hear the confidence in his voice? And this is what he says. To the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, pre-incarnate visitation, has his sword drawn. He walks up and he says, very confidently, are you for us? Or are you against us? Because if you're for us, it means one thing. If you're against us, it means something else. And I just need to know what i got to do next. He's walking in the favor of God and the power of God. Why? Because he's following the will of God. He's, sub- he's submitted to God's plan. God said, I want you to lead my people over the river. I want you to conquer that territory. I want it to be yours. It's y'all's. I'm giving it to you. You're going to have to do some fighting, but it's yours. And he's following God's plan. Don't you know he's calm? He walks right up to him. Can you see him? Walk right up to him, look in his face. And say, Are you for us or against us? The guy's got his sword drawn. You imagine walking up like that? It doesn't tell us that Joshua draws his sword. He's not afraid. He doesn't care about the sword. He just walks up and looks him in the eyes and says, are you with us or are you against us? And the answer that he gets is a very startling one, isn't it? Read with me, if you will. What is the answer to the question, are you for us or are you against us? Y'all reading along with me there? The answer is found in verse number 14. And so he says, back to this question, option A, for us, option B, against us. Here's the option that uh, Jesus responds. So he says... (laughs) <laughs> talk about authority. He's talking to the alpha male, the guy who God chose to lead his people. But this is God in the flesh. I mean, God in, in, in a visitation here on earth, right? He says, no, no, no. Uh, I know you have a plan. I know you're following God's will, but you're going to have to stop real quick and recognize who it is that's talking to you. And so he says, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. I have come, listen to what he's saying. I have come in the form right now, I've come in the form right now of the commander of God's armies, of the armies of the Lord. Now, he comes later as the innocent, sinless lamb of God, but here he is visiting as the commander of the Lord's army. And one of the ways we know that this is God in the, in the flesh because what happens next is... Uh, Joshua falls down in complete submission and begins to worship. Now, everywhere an angel is attempted to worship, they quickly will stand you up and say, don't do that. I assume because they're thinking you're going to get us both in trouble because there's one who's worthy of glory and he'll share it with nobody. 
and that is God. And so we see him fall down and begin to worship. And so read with me as this thing unfolds. No, uh, no, but as commander of the Lord's army, I have now come. And Joshua falls on his face to the earth and worships. And as he worshiped, he says to him, listen to the question that he poses to uh, the Lord. He says, but what does my Lord say to his servant? Listen to what he's asking. What do you want me to do? Uh, let me ask you a question. When's the last time that you asked God for permission? You know what I'm saying? Like, God, can I? Like, for instance, when you choose where you're going to eat this week or last week, did you say, God, can I, can I eat at Burger King today? Is that, that, is that where you want me to be? See, most of our life, we just live haphazard. We just go. and We don't anticipate that God may have a specific place he wants us to grab our lunch because we have a specific person to drive through that we can share our testimony with or we can invite to worship with us. And before long, they're saved and their husband's saved and he's doing the baptizing. And we see a great move of God. But, but see, we just, there's just so much of our life. We say he's Lord, but there's just so much of our life that we don't even anticipate or, or even begin to think, God, what do you want me to do here? And then there are bigger things like who we marry and where we live. And what we're going to do for a living. Like, think about what are the parameters that we set for what we're going to do for a living? What do I like to do and what can I make the most money? And if I get those two together and, and we miss out on, okay, God, I'm a seventh grader at Richland. I'm eighth grader at Florence. I'm asking you, starting now, God, and I'm asking you, what do you want me to do with my life? How do you want to use me for the journey? You choose my career, God. I'm yours. You see, Josh, this is, this is the alpha dog. He's laid down. And his, his question is, tell me what to do. Just direct. Now, he's already on mission, but now I recognize who he's with. He says, tell me, you just direct my steps. Think about this. Think about this. You ready? Now, now y'all, don't, y'all looking all kind of crazy out at me. This is really about this thing. You ready? So, like, when you pulled on the parking lot, did you ask God permission for where you parked? Like, like it, probably it was raining a little bit, and here's the thought, right? How close can I park? So that I don't get, it's never, God, where do you want me to park so that somebody who maybe can move less good as me can get in without getting as wet? You see, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that we live so much of our life in control, but we'll say that Jesus is Lord. We come on a premise, and the first thing we think, selfish ambition, where's the closest place I can park? I was walking from the way back here this morning, and here was my thought, you ready? My shoes are getting wet. And I started getting that little, y'all know that little attitude we get? I started thinking, man, my shoes are getting wet. And then I, and, I, and the Lord said, yeah, and? And I thought, and? That's right, hallelujah. You know, Lord, thank you that my shoes can get wet so that somebody else can park a little closer. See, it's, it's a matter of complete surrender to his authority. God, where do you want me to spend my money? Where do you want me to spend my time? God, where do you, where do you how do you, where should I? We've, listen, for some reason, we've missed that we ought to be going before him, petitioning him for permission. We even hate that word, don't we? Come on, anybody, y'all don't look down at the carpet. Look up here at me. Don't we hate that word, asking permission for something? What if you and I begin to live our lives in such humble surrender to his authority that we ask him permission for where we parked our car? Here's a couple of statements I'd like to make. Following Jesus is total surrender. Don't be fooled to think that following Jesus is every other Sunday or Sunday morning kind of thing. Following Jesus is total surrender. And, and also, let me say this to you. Following Jesus is continual surrender. It's continual. It's not just a one-time prayer. It's not a one-time thing. Have you, have you learned about the Christian life that it's a continual series of surrender after surrender after surrender after surrender? And as we walk the journey, who you and I believe Jesus to be is the difference maker. 
You see, he knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was dealing with God. And so he knelt down. But then watch how the story continues to unfold, the historical account of what took place between these two. As he asked him, who is it? Are you for us against us? No, no, I'm the commander of the Lord's armies. He falls down and worships. And then here's what happens in verse 15. The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot. Now let me ask you a question. Wasn't it enough that he was already bowed down? I mean, think about it. Here, here's the guy in front, of, in front of the millions of people that he was leading. He didn't think, what are they going to think about me? Or He just humbled himself and began to worship. Wasn't it enough that he bowed down and worshiped? Here's what, here's what the Lord said to him. Now, he, what do you want me to do? Okay, okay, you're asking, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the shoes off your feet because where you're standing is holy ground. I want you to think about what a moment that was. Because you've got to remember who is in the scenario, Joshua and God. Joshua, when he's heard, when he hears this phrase, take your sandals off your shoes, off your feet, because you're standing on the ground, what do you think he thought about? He had a mentor who led him for a long time, a man by the name of Moses. A man who was called by God after uh, many years on the backside of a desert where he was hiding because he had murdered someone with his bare hands, and he's tending the sheep one day, and a bush catches on fire, except the bush is burning, but the bush is not being consumed. So Moses is going on his everyday average life. He's walking, and he sees the burning bush, and it catches, the Scripture says he sees the bush is not burning, and so he turns aside to see what's up. When he turns aside to see what's going on, because this bush is on fire, but it's not burning up, the bush begins to speak to him, <laughs> calls his name. And in the midst of what's going on, he calls him to a mission. But first he says, hold on, don't take another step. Before you move anymore, take the shoes off your, because the place where you're standing is holy. And don't you know when Joshua heard that, whoa, I really am dealing with God. And God, not only that, but listen to this, God's dealing with me. And don't ever miss out on the value of God dealing with you, even though sometimes it's a little bit painful. Not always, but sometimes. Never miss out on the great value and blessing that God deals with us as with sons and daughters. So he surrenders there. He completely surrenders to the authority of the one who is guiding him. Wouldn't you and I do well to do the same? As we're walking the journey of life to completely humbly <clears throat> surrendered to his authority, which means when we decide that Jesus really is Lord, our lives are no longer our own. It means that our will is no longer our own. It means that no longer my agenda but his agenda, no longer uh, my time but his time, no longer my marriage but his marriage, no longer my kids but, and this one's gotten really real here lately, his kids. And nothing will help you remember that like a marrying off of one of your children. They're his, they're not ours. And we have them for a season. Now, I want you to think for a minute about, can you determine, have you, have you really surrendered to his authority? Or, or could you say today there's some areas of your life that you need to take the shoes off your feet? And you say, what are you talking about taking my shoes off? No, keep your shoes on, but stay with me. You need to approach it different, not common and ordinary the way that you and I may have been that we approach our time talking to God a little different, now, that we t approach our time in the Word listening for God's voice a little different, uh, that we set it apart. Anybody with me? Y'all tracking with me? Uh, we don't necessarily have to take our shoes off because, you know, that don't really have an effect in the, in, the, in the present, but we might cut our phone off and put it far enough away we can't reach it. And we might say, well, listen, now, the first, this little 30 minutes right here, I'm not dealing with anybody but me and God. 
and we submit to his authority. So number one, we live a new identity. Number two, we surrender to his authority. Let me make this statement to you. I'm going to move on. Double occupancy on the throne of your heart is a lie. There can only be one king. Sadly, a lot of days it's me. And I'm going to turn the mirror on you, okay, because I said it to me first. A lot of days it's you in your life. Now, we got our T-shirts. we got our favorite Christian songs. Some of us even have a bumper sticker, Honk If You Love Jesus, you know. But the test of the reality of a relationship of surrender is how I make decisions all day long. So God help me to be in total surrender to his authority. Number three, if you will. Number three, found in chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I want you to write this statement down. We're talking about how is it that we can overcome the impossible. One, we ought to live a new identity. We belong to him, we ought to live that way. Second, surrender to his authority. Asking permission, speaking to him as master. Number three, live by faith. Now, this is hard for us, isn't it? I had somebody tell me not too long ago they were in the midst of a very difficult season in their life. They lost a couple of loved ones close together. And the person said to me, it's very hard for me in this season because I just want to sit down and have a cup of coffee and a hug from Jesus, but I can't do that. Does anybody else relate to that? You ever been in a place where you wish you could just sit down face-to-face with Jesus. So, so what I, what I, the point I'm making here is faith is a difficult thing, isn't it? Five honest people in the room. The rest of y'all are like, no, it's so easy for me. And that's why you parked so far from the front door. Because faith was guiding you, right? Faith is a difficult thing. Why? Because down here in this, in this system on earth, everything we do is guided by our five senses, Right? Um, I, you can't make me believe something is real unless I see it, taste it, right, smell it, touch it, or hear it. And so the five senses become uh, uh, an obstacle for me in living my, my life by faith and not by sight. You know, you know the reason we worry about things? Because of what we see. You know the reason that oftentimes we get so concerned and overwhelmed and anxious? Because of what we hear. Uh, oh, I'm telling you, they, they wear us out. So look at verses 1 through 7. So now <clears throat> Jericho was securely shut up. Because of the children of Israel, none went out and none went in. And the Lord said to Joshua, now in my mind, I'm going to embellish a little bit here. Just have grace for me. I believe in my mind's eye, I can see uh, Joshua bowing down the ground and worshiping and saying, what do you want to say to me? Uh, What I want to say to you next is, I'm going to just kind of clarify who I am. Take your sandals off because the ground you're standing, where you're standing is holy. You're in the presence of God. And so he does that. Now, that's a moment of humility. That's a, if you're watching that, how many of you said it would be a little bit of an awkward moment if you were like the f- fourth guy back from that little situation? You're watching that. There's your leader. He, you don't know who the guy he's talking to. This is the guy that helped you cross over the river. He's your guy. Everybody's following this guy. He's God's man. All of a sudden, he's laying down on the ground up there. What is he doing? And then he's rolling over and sitting down taking his sandals off. What in the world is going on? And then I just believe I, just believe, I can just see Jesus putting his arm around him. And say, now, now that we have this, you know who I am, and you're, you belong to me. You see that up there? And remember, the city's uphill. And by the way, in battle planning, you want the upper ground. You have a better chance of winning if you have higher elevation. Did you know that? And it's somewhere in the 90 percentile, I saw somewhere in a war, war strategy book, in, in old ways of fighting. When you have the higher ground, you're somewhere around 90 percent more likely to win the fight when it's hand-to-hand, okay? So they have an uphill battle. And here, I can just see him now get up from down there. Now that you know who I am, now look up there. You see that up there? I'm giving that to you. I've given it to you, past tense. Now, I know I've been in a room full of super spiritual people. 
But if Carrie was there in the place of Joshua, I could see myself saying something stupid like this. Not yet. I mean, they still have a king in there. They still have mighty men of valor. Now, that phrase, mighty men of valor, is a, is a word that mean, a phrase that means uh, that's a group of guys you don't want to fool with. You understand? Mighty men of valor. They, they were killers, trained to sat. They were, they were, I'm telling you, they were brutal. And, and they're still in there, right? And yet he's saying to him, I've already given it's, it's already yours. And I see myself going, yeah. You know, I'm looking at Jesus, and I'm knowing it's him, but I'm looking up there, and I said, you know, it hadn't happened yet. And so oftentimes, because we can't see it, we'll never approach it. We'll go around Jericho. We'll stay in the plain. We never get to experience an, an, an impossible victory because we can't see past what we can see with our eyes, what the diagnosis was from the doctor, uh, how that person, that coworker is, how it is. I mean, seventh grade, I mean, this way seventh grade is going. It's going to be this way forever. And we can't see any hope of the impossible situation ever being different. But watch what happens. So uh, I want to just, as I talk here about living by faith, there are three things I want to share with you about living by faith. First of all, uh, that, first of all, I want you to see uh, that faith has evidence. Now write that down. Little number one and number three, faith has evidence. Where is it? Verse one and two. Where do I see that? He said, look up there. That city who normally the gates are open, that city who normally people are going in and out doing business, that city who normally is just enjoying life and having fun because they're on the high ground and who's going to beat them, they're not doing that today. What are they doing today? They locked up. They got the gates shut. They got the windows shut. They got the curtains pulled. They got the bars up. Why? They're afraid. They're afraid. It says they were shut up. Nobody was going in and out because of the children of Israel. What does that mean? Word had come that these weird people had a God called Jehovah or Yahweh. And they had conquered kings and territories. And they'd come out of Egypt. I mean, good Lord, who beats the Pharaoh? And they'd walked out of his possession. And they'd walked over the Red Sea, a dry on dry ground. And the word of that came. And now you imagine being in Jericho. You're a mighty man of valor. And you hear these people who nobody's been able to beat yet. Not even Pharaoh. And they're coming for you next. What would you do? Shut the gate, boys. Batten down the hatches, right? Well, we need some reinforcements for these windows. We don't want them climbing in these window holes. We got to make sure that we're ready to fight and we got to defend ourselves because they are something about those people. Their God has delivered them over and over and over and over again. So the evidence that God was working was the shut doors and the drawed up windows and gate. Do you see it? So it wasn't without evidence. God wasn't saying to them, uh, Jesus wasn't saying to Joshua that day, I want you to believe something you can't see at all. No, look, they're closing the doors because of you. Well, not really because of you, but because they know I'm with you. So there's evidence. Let me just say something to you. I'm not asking you to believe something that doesn't have evidence. And so two things. If you're here today and you've never put your hope and trust in Jesus because you can't see him, you can't sit down with him, I want to say to you, I'm not asking you to believe something that has no evidence. I am, in fact, evidence that Jesus is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. And not only me, you don't know it, but you're sprinkling around a whole room full of comeback stories that are evidence all around you, in front of you and behind you, inside of you and left of you. They look just like you, right? they got the same sort of situations in life, but they've been delivered by the power of Jesus Christ. And they're all around you. 
The evidence is all around you. And you're sitting there in your chair, and right now it's hard for you to breathe because he's after you. God's after you. He loves you, and he's trying to chase you down. You've been running from him, and he's after you, and it's hard to resist the love of God. He's after you. I'm telling you, he's after you. And there you are. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? There you are. There you are. And he's after you. And you're thinking, you're thinking to yourself, you know, what, what's the evidence? They're sitting right beside you. They've been delivered and set free from addictions. And I'm telling you right now, you're in a room full of people who have come to know Jesus Christ. We're not perfect people. We're transformed people. We're forgiven people. And we're not who we used to be. Somebody ought to give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Oh, he's a good God. He's a good God. So, so faith is not without evidence. Number two, I've got to go quickly. Number two, faith challenges our allegiance. Who has your allegiance? You have oftentimes pledged allegiance to a flag and to a nation, right? But I want to ask you on a personal level, who has your allegiance? Okay? Number two, faith challenges our allegiance, verses 3 through 5. What does he tell him in verses 3 through 5? Here's what I want you to do. Here's my plan. God says, here's my plan. I want you to, now you're looking at a wall, you're looking at a city, you're looking at a situation, it's impossible. They don't have any dynamite, they don't have a catapult, they don't have anything, but they have God. And God says, I want you to march one lap around the city. Okay, God, but I want you to do that for six days. All right, one lap a day, six days. Okay, then the seventh day, you're going to go around seven times. All right, okay, we're seeing a picture here. But here's the thing, you can't talk at all, <laughs> the whole time. And then when I tell you on the seventh day after the seventh lap, you're going to blast these ram horns and the walls are going to fall down. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Now, we know the end of the story, but if we didn't, we've got to put ourselves in the scene. I'd have been like, man, Joshua, have you been drinking? That's not how walls fall down, man. Matter of fact, go over and walk around at one time and see how it works. And so the, it, God oftentimes gives me and you a path and instructs us from his word in such a way that it works against our belief in ourselves. Oftentimes, God allows us to find ourselves in situations that we can't win, we can't overcome, we don't have enough resource, we can't buy our way out, doctors can't fix it. And he puts us in these moments and he gives us instruction from his word and his spirit to see who we are, our allegiance is with. Usually it's one or two people, you ready? Either our allegiance is going to be, I believe he's God and his way is right, and if he says forgive, I've got to forgive. And if he says I need to go meet with the person who sinned against me, I've got to go meet with him, even though it's uncomfortable. If he says I need to take care of the log in my eye and then go help my brother with the log in his, or the speck in his, then I'm going to do that. Or is my allegiance with myself? See, the man's struggle from the garden has been, I know better. Eat of all the trees and the bushes and the fruits and the vines and, the, and, the, and everything. Just on the one. Well, I know better. Let me, let me, I'm going to eat of the one. And oftentimes you find yourself in impossible situations with the instruction of God that doesn't make any sense to you. Stop and pray for this person. What, I'm late for this? I'm like, i got to stop and pray for this person. Give to this person. Uh, I want you to forgive that person. I want you to, I want you to lead out in this. Uh, you're the spiritual leader of the home. Then if mercy needs to be had, you're the leader. You lead out in mercy and forgiveness. He said, but it doesn't make sense. How's that going to benefit me? Oh. And so our allegiance is tested. That's what faith does. If you can see it and smell it and taste it and touch it and hear it, then your allegiance is with you. But if it's outside of those and God's calling you to do it, then you've got to trust him. And that's how faith works. So God says, I'm going to get you to do this crazy thing, see who your allegiance is with. Because I could see myself in that moment and allegiance being to myself saying, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that, Joshua. That's ridiculous. 
I'm not walking around that thing. But besides, I'm going to be bored for three quarters of the day. We're going to walk one lap in silence. Why don't we just do all 13 laps in one day? If the thing is 13 laps, let's do 13 laps in one day. But that wasn't, see, God was testing to see not only their allegiance, but also their perseverance. Now, as they're walking through this thing, the question I have for you today is, where in your life do the walls need to come tumbling down? What's your Jericho? What's that thing that's sitting there with the walls drawn up and it's just impossible and it seems like you can't get out and nothing can get in and you need some movement, you've been wanting some movement. It may be a wayward child. It may be the struggle of your marriage. It may be your single life. I, I don't know what the situation is for you, but I know there's some impossible. Listen, this is what I know. Most all of us have a Jericho. And I want to just read a little further along. So third about faith, faith requires action. Verses 6 and 7. What are they doing in 6 and 7? They get up and they march. They couldn't just sit and think about marching. They had to go march. They couldn't just sit and pray about marching. They had to go, they had to go march. And so notice in this passage, we find out not only does Joshua do what, what he said do, but the people do what he says do. And when we simply do what he says do, we'll experience impossible victories. Don't you, you know, it's not 12 steps to it. It's just one. Do what he says do. I want to just say to you that we have to live by faith and not by sight. You know, Peter tried both. You remember? Lord, if that's you, command me and I'll come out on the water. Faith. Stepped out on that water and walked on it. He walked on the water in a storm. Sight. He began to look at the waves and the wind and it began to sink. You have to ask yourself the question, which way do you want to live? By faith, experiencing the supernatural power of God for victories in your life or by sight where you only get to experience the mundane, logical, ordinary stuff of this life. I don't know about you, but that's awful boring to me. Awful boring to me. All right, let me move on to number four. 15 and 16, they keep watching. They keep walking. They keep walking. They walk a lap a day. They come back and sit in Gilgal. They go walk a lap another day. They come sit in Gilgal. Seventh day, they go seven laps. And so here's what I want to say to you. They had to persevere in their obedience. That's number four. Persevere in obedience. You have to obey, but you have to do it over and over again. So here's what I'm saying to you. Keep on marching. Somebody in here that you're just about to give up on your marriage, I want to challenge you. Keep on marching. Keep on marching. There's somebody about to give up on, on a business. You're about to give up on a dream, something God planted in your heart a long time ago. I'm going to say to you, listen, keep on marching. I would hate to know that you were on the sixth lap on the seventh day. You're one lap away, and you turn in and give up, fold up shop. I want to challenge you today. Keep on praying. Keep on studying. I know, listen, you're looking at some areas of your life. Some of us today would say this about ourselves. Our own self is our Jericho. I don't know about you, but I look at the most impossible person in my life in the mirror every time I see a mirror. It's me. I'm my Jericho. I'm wondering why I don't feel this way and why I don't do these things and why I do this and why I don't do that. And I'm telling you, I'm my, how many of you can say that you're your Jericho? And I just need God to bring the walls down so that I'll be more like Jesus. And so I've got to keep, well, you know what's gonna, where that's found? I, gotta, I can't quit reading the Word. I can't say, well, I've read the Word. So somebody here right now, you think, well, I've tried reading the Word. I've done it like two weeks in a row, and I've came to church three weeks in a row, and things are the same. I've got to tell you, keep on. You've got to keep going, amen? I'm telling you, He's changing you little by little. And you can't stop on the sixth lap on the seventh day. You've got to keep pressing on. You've got to keep studying. You've got to keep on giving. You've got to keep forgiving. Oh. You've got to keep on leading, sir. You got to keep on. You can't quit. You got to keep on sharing Jesus. I know somebody may have rejected you seven times. You got to keep on sharing Jesus. You got to keep on telling people your story. Don't give up. Finally, number five, and this is the main idea. The last point is the main idea of the whole passage. It's found in verse number 20, and it's sort of wordy. You ready to write? 
Get your pen out, write this down. At least the main idea of the passage. Found in verse 20. Here it is, you ready? God's children will experience unexplainable victories. Write that part. God's children will experience unexplainable victories when we follow God. How? Somebody help me. With total surrender. Isn't that true? God's children. So, so first of all, we have to be saved. We have to be born again. If, we can, if, we don't, if we're not born again, we'll never experience any impossible victories. So we must be born again, God's children. And by the way, we ain't all God's children. Somebody told me the other day, we all God's children. I said, that's hogwash. Only those who've been born again are the children of God, all right, who put their hope and trust in Jesus, death and resurrection. So God's children, what are they going to experience? Unexplainable victories. Impo- things that people look at, they say, how in the world did that happen? When, when do we find it? When we follow God. We don't lead him. We follow him, but we have to follow him a certain way. In total surrender. That's what Joshua did. He bowed down, took his shoes off, and he did exactly what God said to do. And you know what happened? The walls came tumbling down. And in verse number 20, I'm going to read it as you write, all right? Here's what verse 20 says. And uh, in chapter 6, verse 20, let me read. So the people shouted. They're on that last day. They last trumpet. They blast the trumpets, and the people shouted. The priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. And the people went into the city, which was once sovereign and fortified, full of a king and mighty men of valor. Every man went straight before him, right ahead, straight in, and they took the city. See, God said, I'm going to deliver you to a place, and you're going to occupy that place. But it won't, it won't be without battle. Listen to me. God's promised you and me some things, but that doesn't mean there won't be battles. doesn't mean you're not going to have to fight and, and struggle and pray and forgive. And Well, I want to close with one thought. How do I get there? Isn't that a good question? Like if I have five things to say, all right, here, what are they? In order to overcome the impossible, one, live a new identity. Y'all help me. Number two, surrender to his authority. Come on, somebody help me out. Number three. Live it by faith. And we said three things about faith. It has evidence, it challenges our allegiance, and it requires action, all right? Then we said number four, persevere. persevere. we got to keep on obeying. We can't just obey once and expect everything to be uh, perfect. We have to keep on obeying. And then number five, we said we'll experience these unexplainable victories when God's children will, when we follow God with total surrender. So how in the world do I get there? You ready? How did, how did Joshua, how was he an alpha male like you've never met before? How did he find himself bowed down to the ground unstrapping his sandals. Can you see him sitting down like a little kid undoing his sandals? Joshua. How did he get there? Here it is, Exodus 33, 11. How are you going to get there? I'll tell you. Ready? Try harder. Right? Right? Our guests are like, yes. Our home folk are like, no. Uh, You can't try harder. If you try harder, you fail. And you fail with Oh, it's just a defeated, shameful spirit because you tried as best you could. So how did Joshua, did Joshua just try harder? No. Joshua had been drawing near for a long, long time. Let me show you. Exodus 33 and verse 11. So now we're going to go back when Moses was still alive and Joshua was a young man. Where did Joshua learn to be the man who bows down as, as God's alpha male leading God's people? You ready? So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his 
friend, and he would return. Who would? Moses. Moses would go out to the tabernacle. He would go out to the tent of meeting, and he would meet with God at the tabernacle, and then he would leave and go back to the people, right? He would go out there and seek God and seek his face and seek his will, and he would go back and lead the people. But, but, listen, you reading with me? But his servant, uh uh-oh, Joshua, the son of Nun, what was he? A young man. What did he do? He stayed in the presence of God. He stayed there. Where are you going to learn? Where are you going to find the ability to do those five things? Not by trying harder. By starting your day every single day, every single, seven out of seven, beginning in prayer and in the Word of God. If you don't do that, roll up your notes, throw them away, do something with them, get them out of your way because they'll have no benefit in your life. If you make it a logical thing, a step of four things I'm going to start doing, you'll fail before Monday comes. But if you'll make one adjustment, just one, and you'll begin your day, the first sweetest hour of the day, you and King Jesus, and you'll find you a book of the Bible, you'll pick one out, you'll start reading through it slowly, get you a good commentary, a good study Bible, and just read through that one book slowly, a little at a time, and spend some time praying, asking God to show you and give you direction. What you'll find is, what you'll find is, all of a sudden, the Word of God and the Spirit of God is producing in you the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll find in your life, when that comes to pass, nothing's impossible with God. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Now, Father, I thank you this morning for the blessed privilege of preaching this Word, your Gospel. And this morning we declare that Joshua is not the hero of the story. You are God. And I thank you today that the same way that you are the hero of the story in the life of Joshua and your people, you today are the hero of my life. You're the whole hero of the story. I've done nothing good apart from you. And Lord, because of that, I can declare with great confidence to these people in this room and those listening outside these rooms and even outside this country With great confidence, I can say, you are willing to be the hero of their story. That on this day, you have the power to save them, to rescue them, pull them from the pit, to forgive their sin, to wash them clean like you've done me. So, Lord, I pray first, if there be one among us, whether in this room, listening out there online, or listening on the podcast later, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that they would stop in a moment of humility, to recognize their need for a Savior. That your Spirit would give them clarity that the Savior is Jesus Christ and His saving method is that He died for us so that we could live. And the Father, as you make clear, the Savior died for us that He also rose again, declaring Himself to be the Son of God. And I pray that person right now would hear your still small voice and they'd wave the white flag of surrender. And God, they'd be saved. Saved from the power of sin. Saved from the penalty of sin. They'd be born again into your kingdom. They'd be your child now. I pray somebody in this room would do it. I pray somebody driving down the road right now do it with their eyes open and tears in their eyes. They'd just call out and say, I trust you, Jesus. Will you come and be Lord of my life? Lord, I pray you'd save right now in this moment. Now, I want to do something this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to ask you, if you've invited Jesus to be Lord, I'm not going to invite you down front. You can come in a minute if you'd like. I'm not going to come find you. But I just would like to know, if you're in the house today, 
or listening online. You can put a, a hand, waving hand in the comments there. We know how to reach out to you. But if you're in this room and today you've invited Jesus, honestly, completely, totally surrendered, invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, had your sins forgiven, would you slip your hand up? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I see you there and I see you there. And, and so you could just slip your hand up. I see you right there. Just slip your hand up and right back down. It's a big room and it's dark. It's kind of hard to see around. The good news is if you meant it with your whole heart, he saved you. And he began a journey with you that he'll, he'll, he'll never quit on you. But now I'd like to speak to the believer if I could. Father, I pray for the ones in the room who know for certain that Jesus is Lord of their own life. They've received you. I pray, God, you'd help us to... Well, Lord, really what I'm asking is you'd give us a great measure of faith. How many of you today would raise your hand and say, God, I need you to give me a, a, a stronger portion of faith? Would you raise your hand up? God, I just, I need you to give me more faith. Lord, would you do that as those hands are stretched toward heaven, mine included? Would you, would you grant us more faith? Faith of a mustard seed, that little tiny seed that has the power to move mountains. And God, do that for us. We need that. We can't do it on our own. Father, we bow before you and we ask you to speak to our hearts. We're listening. What do you want us to do? How are we to respond today? Father, if there's somebody here who's supposed to be a part of this gathering, then would you bring them forward? There's somebody here who's never followed through in baptism, and they've seen the baptisms this morning of Raymond and not you. And God, they would say today, I've never followed through in baptism, that they would come. Maybe somebody you're calling to ministry, like me at the age of 14 as I resisted and fought. Maybe today they've heard your voice calling, feed my sheep, or sir, God, I pray they would respond today. We just want to ask you, have your way now. Have your way now. I pray that the altar will be filled with people seeking after your face. Meet with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say the altar is open. If you feel led to come and spend a little time in prayer, you make your way this way.